Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Penin Keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Jijang, a culture writer and critic. This week we're discussing The Green Knight and The White Lotus. Two things about how weird things can get when you go away for holidays. <laughs> Nailed it. That Nailed it. is a very creative link, but... We love but, reaching. But am I show. wrong? Am I wrong? Sometimes when all. you leave the house and you go somewhere else, things get really fucking weird. Yeah. Two great examples of that. Thank um, you. I love it. Thank uh, you. Helen, how, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I went bowling this week for the first time in what feels like years, which probably oh, is retro. years. And uh, my... <laughs> See, this is the difference between going bowling when you were younger and going bowling now. My right arm... I'm right-handed. My right mm. arm aches like hell. And my oh. and my left butt cheek, uh, it's like hell as well. How does that w- like? What is a left butt? butt I'm cheek u- from? so I'm using the left side of my body to plant my body down while I swing from my right hand. Oh yeah, that's yeah. Right. And I don't know how much of it is like getting older and how much of it is like not using my muscles for a year and a half. You know what I mean? Like just not mm. going to the gym or not really working out. Guess it um, could be all of those. All of a um, huge combination of of the three of them. But guess what? I still suck. I was um, going to ask. <laughs> it's You know what's fascinating about bowling? Mm-hmm. It's basically a metaphor for life and how you handle life in that when you are good, it feels great. Uh-huh. But you, once you're bad and your embarrassment is in front of everybody, it really affects your performance. Like, it's really hard to get that confidence back up again. Oh, yeah. Because I started off like, hot. keeps getting worse. Yeah. And the the best part about it is the only way to be good is to strike that very, very fine balance between being confident and not getting too in your head but then also like focusing on your technique or like focusing on like what it is that you're trying to do because when you get too confident you you're not focusing on the technique yeah but then if you focus too much on the technique you lose your confidence yeah do you know what i mean so it's like that weird like balance and that's kind of like how life is dude <laughs> so well which which one are you are you out of balance for right now? absolutely both so okay okay <laughs> there you go well, and that was a tough part minutes. it's like there was like a there was like a an amazing five minutes where i did strike it like right at the beginning and then my husband got in my head because i was about to beat him so he got in my head and then i was like fucked for the rest of the hour so uh, shout out to men you know just being anti-feminist yeah out Sorry. Here in these streets <laughs> being married to a straight man is a curse i tell you that man <laughs> It's all right. I love you, Andrew. It's okay. How are you, <laughs> shout how, out to Andrew. Shout out to Andrew one time. How are you, babes? Well, how's your week been? Yeah, busy, busy week work-wise. Mm. Um, met my coworkers for the first time, like in person. Yeah. Uh, after like operating purely over Slack and the internet for for a few months now. So, what was that like? Mostly nice, I think. A little bit awkward, which is like mostly sure. from me, from me. Uh, like I completely take the the blame for any awkwardness i i felt personally i'm sure you were not the only awkward person there. <laughs> like don't do that to yourself okay sure i will yeah. uh cut it with the self-deprecation and <laughs> uh just like self-loathing in general uh but yeah no it was it was nice to see people that you know you've been in contact with them almost every day for mm. for this like project this like big big venture you're all undertaking and to see like how it sort of matches up to I don't know like the 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 Slack avatar the the internet voice yeah. to the real life you know voice and face yeah, uh, yeah. always an interesting experience um, definitely definitely I went through a period of meeting a lot of my Tumblr friends 
oh. in real life, like six years ago. Yeah. Uh, like when I was like visiting New York for the first time or living in New York for the first time. Mm-hmm. And that was always, always an interesting experience because people are different. That's yeah. just kind of the reality of it. And yeah. I'd like to think that I'm pretty similar. Like I'm, for the most part, I'm pretty similar once I'm comfortable. Yeah. But you know, everyone's different because you've got time to self edit online. You know what I mean? Like it's just, yeah, the internet is like curated. Um, it's curated. I will all, say all there are it. some people that are like night and day. And that's yeah. kind of weird, but we're all doing our best in this digital landscape. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, it was nice. I would recommend it. Seeing acquaintances and, and coworkers in real life. Yeah. Speaking of travel, um, bringing oh, yeah. it back to our, our loose connection between what we watched this week. Pellin, what did you watch this week? Oh, my God. So I watched The Green Knight in theaters. What's cool about this is that you watched it first, and I, mm-hmm. because we're in New York and everyone's a fucking A24 wanker in the city, <laughs> there was just like, it, everything was like too booked out. So I had to watch oh, wow. it a couple of days after you did. I'm very excited to talk about this film, I've got to say. I've had some conversations with friends, so I'm excited to get your thoughts on it. So this film is written and directed by David Lowry. It's based on a 14th century chivalric poem called Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, which is written by an anonymous storyteller. They never found out who this person was. Mm-hmm. Who is she? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's... Mm-hmm. So for anyone that didn't know, or like like I didn't really know what a, a chivalric poem is, it's a form of literary prose that was popular in the medieval times, especially in like the high courts of European countries. And they usually entail knights, hence chivalry in the chivalric mm-hmm. category. It's a word of mouth story, and that's kind of why no one could really figure out who first started it or who, who first wrote it. So sticking to the theme of it, the, the poem Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, it explores the themes of honor, courage, romance, and it follows Gawain, uh, who is King Arthur's nephew, as he's basically tested to prove his commitment to the values of knighthood and things, a way to make himself a legend, basically, in the world of knighthood. Mm-hmm. So, you know, much of the hype about, around this film was because it's an A24 film. A lot of the hype around this film was because Dev Patel was in it and he looks amazing. Um, yes. And, you know, that doesn't change in the film. It's just <laughs> a wonderful time. I had a wonderful <laughs> time. And um, mm-hmm. the film itself, it kind of follows the poem quite Faithfully, I would say there's not too much of a divergence, but there are diver- divergences. So I don't know if it's worth reading the poem before you watch the film. I think it's worth having like a baseline knowledge yes. of what the poem. Yeah, I would says. read the wiki article um, about it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like the the structure of it does follow, but yeah, a lot of the the sort of details of like how decisions are made uh, are quite different. But yeah. Yeah. Get a baseline knowledge. So it can go both ways. If you are someone that wants to vibe it out as you watch something just don't read anything go into it blind but if you're if you're someone that is like very particular about the way storytelling is in movies because you know some some films take a little bit of liberty read it just because i think it will give you a good tentpole for understanding how these stories kind of go um and then that way you won't be like surprised or annoyed about how the film goes so the divergences that happen i do really like them i like that kind of larry just changed it where he saw fit he doesn't stray away from the essential themes of the poem though so that's kind of like i thought that was pretty good um mm. gawain is played by dev patel he's the main big boy never looked better 
shout out to the Skins family, all my Skins boys doing big things. And uh, with the rest of the cast, King Arthur is played by Sean Harris. Gawain's mother is played by the ever-beautiful Sarita Chowdhury. Alicia Vikander plays Essel, Gawain's sex worker girlfriend. And then we get uh, a standard, you know how it is, honorary appearance by Joel Edgerton <laughs> later on in the film. God, that man I loves him yeah. to have a period. Uh, I didn't period, know he was in this. Me neither. Uh, great surprise. I know. When he appeared, I was just like, <gasps> love him. Um, <laughs> so... If you can't be asked to read anything, you just want to hear what it's about and you're not going to see this film anyway. The TLDR is that Gawain doesn't seem to really have like a clear path to knighthood. This is for the film, by the way, not the poem. And then like on Christmas Day with a feast at his uncle King Arthur and all of his knights, a green knight strolls in looking sickening, (laughs) (laughs) arrives and he wants to play a little game. The game is, and games are not the way that we approach games now. Games in the medieval times were fucking batshit. So his game <laughs> is whoever strikes a blow to him will keep his big old axe for a, for a whole year. And in a year, that person will return his axe to him at the Green Chapel. And the Green Knight will return the blow that he got. So none of King Arthur's knights want to play this game. They're pussy. And uh, Gawain, feeling very bold and very confident. Decides to take him up on this offer, and then he gets a little bit, a little bit too excited, a little bit overconfident, and uh, he gets a little bit sword happy, and it doesn't really work out for him. <laughs> so he spends his year like we don't really get into the year, but like we we then essentially fast forward a year later, and then we are with him on his journey back to return this axe. So, how did you feel about this film, Jenny? Because you technically saying you weren't sure and you wanted to wait for me to watch it. So I'm curious (laughs) about your thoughts. Yeah, I think what happened with me is I had expectations Mm. of a different sort. Mm. Um, I'll say right off the bat, I, especially when I was younger, was a big like legends, folklore, Arthur head kind of person. Oh, for real? Yeah, like anything from the the gamut of like Greek mythology to like Norse shit to like King Arthur, like loved all of this stuff. So I feel like I came in and especially after watching the trailer, which is like quite different in the kind of story that it presents. Yeah, the trailer is definitely. Yeah, the trailer. I will say the trailer is definitely a little bit misleading. A little bit, yeah. yeah please um, probably, probably like I guess like deliberately, but so I was expecting one kind of film that was a little bit more, I guess like Arthurian epic kind of style, um, like a little bit somber, a little bit you know heavy on the the themes of like honor, morality, and stuff. And and what happens instead is that the film is it does get into those themes, it does get into the the whole you know, legends, but it comes at it from a very different way. Mm. It comes at it with like a very like eyebrow raised, um, kind of more subverting a lot of those things that we, I guess we take for granted from these like chivalric tales. Um, Definitely. So I think yeah. I was, yeah, I was like kind of a little bit caught off guard between like what I had expected and been kind of excited for. And the thing that happened instead, which is a really interesting film, but one that is like, like some of the themes are just like very hard to process as they're happening. I think this is a thing that you need to like sit with a little bit more to, to really unravel everything that's going on. So I actually do feel like more positively about this film now that I have had like a week, a week and a half to sit with it and yeah. gone to like read some 
analyses and like interpretations mm-hmm. and like gain up to speed on like some of what was going on. Um, so I do feel better about it now. It just like it's a little bit of a beautiful like dazzling but sometimes confounding watch i think as it's happening in the theaters yeah i think in terms of expectations and reality of the film itself it is a little bit discombobulating just because we're so like you said we're so used to a certain format and a certain tone and style Mm -hmm. of films that are set in these times totally whereas this takes a lot of liberties with the surrealism it takes a lot of liberties about like you said it's more about it's about the individual journey in a very external way if that makes sense like mm-hmm. it isn't so much about the man the legend it's about the legend and how much it presses upon the man to be made mm-hmm. but i will just say two things in terms of the the signs in which it's a good film is you know this film very mixed reviews from people that i've talked to i know a couple of people that hated it literally like oh really yeah literally like they think it's the worst film they've watched are these like film people or yeah 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 like they're film okay. people but they're also the, the the people that loved it are my weirder friends or are my friends that are a little bit more like you know into art and creativity and visual styles and like they they, they value that just as much as they value plot whereas i think my friends that hated it really value plot and like that's kind of all they care about so i think that's an excellent sign of a good film because i just think that you know, if you don't love a film, you should hate it. And that means that you did, like, mm. as a filmmaker, you did it. Like, you you rustled up some kind of emotion in people. Like, at least people do have feelings about it. Strong right. Feelings, Indifference, the death of art, the death of creativity. <laughs> so I think, like, that's the first thing. And the second thing is that everyone that loved it has just been like, I need to see it again. I agree. I'm one of those people. I think processing it is one thing. Like, I... It, definitely like speaking to people and understanding why I like it and like being able to articulate it has kind of helped tell me why I liked it but I just want to see it again now that I know these things now that I know how to articulate them so I can kind of go through it with a little bit more of a magnifying glass um yeah I would rewatch it too yeah what I really liked about this film it stays very faithful to the magical and the surrealist elements of a lot of these like medieval 14th century arthurian stories and they eat like with larry like he even leans more and more into it which i adored because that's kind of what filmmaking is for Um, yeah i mean visually and just like in terms of the pure atmospheric quality of it like it is like above and beyond it's really dazzling and sort of like a (laughs) like a boundless horizon kind of way like stuff that you don't see in this world at all and that you can scarcely imagine in a a different world he really brings it home with that i think that was a fantastic job on that front yeah and i know that he's done a couple of films that are kind of based like around this kind of theme or style like with regards to folk and tales i i just love that he is leaning a little bit more into you know historical ways of storytelling and kind of reinterpreting them for modern times using modern filmmaking why not you know like these stories were going being passed around in high society in europe in the 14th 15th century for a reason like storytelling is evergreen and just the way that he kind of added these stylistic flourishes and the way that he's kind of turned it more into like an existential question for gawain i think it's great and shout out to dev patel i think he is like obviously 
perfectly cast for this just because he's hot and like he looks great in that fucking attire but perfectly cast in that he has that level of like naiveness that Gawain has and fear that he has behind his eyes and like that kind of like vulnerability and being unsure of himself just really well acted so shout out to him and there is this really interesting um i don't remember which you know publication have this but there was like an, an interview with with lowry and he said like one of the reasons that patel was the perfect casting was that the the character gawain is as Lowry interprets it is kind of like a man child. He is kind of exhibits a lot of the the worst tendency of someone who is naive and you know wants to be good but has no idea of what that entails mm-hmm. and thinks that X Y Z will cheat him like be a, a cheat for him to get there. And so he was like, I need a an actor who can embody all that, but yeah. also is so beloved that you know people are still going to be into it they won't yeah, they just wanna, hate this character they want to root for him right yeah which is like a very difficult balance but i think dev patel definitely pulls it off yeah absolutely like the times where he's at his lowest lows mm-hmm. and he you know the fear in his eyes that you can't help but just be like oh buddy like i'm so sorry you're going through this but this is all your fault yeah. Um, but yeah i mean i guess like spoilers ahead and um, we'll try and timestamp it but if you really want to watch this film, I think you should stop listening from here and then just wait for the break and tune into the White Lotus part. But what is this film about, Jenny? What do you What do you think about what it's trying to say to us? Ah, uh, million dollar question. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of interpretations that can be made. I think one of the stronger ones that I think I, I buy into right now is, I think like how the idea of like honor and chivalry and knighthood like these are things that have to be earned in a sense and then the the way that Gawain is going about it is like we mentioned like he thinks that like performing xyz kind of things like routinely on routine work is what's going to get him there mm. when actually it's much more about the the journey than the destination yeah. which like Lowry literally sort of depicts because he actually like goes into the journey which the original poem kind of skipped over um so he literally makes the story uh as much about the journey as it is about the destination so it was interesting to see like basically an 80 percent of the decisions like gawain made like they were kind of the wrong decisions or for the wrong reasons and that kind of throws everything into question at the end when it's like okay is he going to survive this one-on-one with the green knight yeah um so it's really interesting how it like you know we we take for granted the ideas of like knighthood and chivalry and uh honor and all these presented in the arthurian legends but really he like interrogates them more here and uh i think does it in a much more human way um but one that i think is more satisfying to is like a to make these characters like real instead of just tropes like stock characters yeah and it's no matter how unrelatable this is from the time that it's set to the themes that it's trying to depict we can't relate to any of these people what we can relate to is what it means to be tested in a way that helps us grow from that test Mm -hmm. and that can be anything so much like Gawain like we all want to be respected and acknowledged to be smart or acknowledged to be someone that is worth respecting. But what does that mean? And how do we get there? And is it, you know, is it the process? Is it 
you completing works that take really, really long time. Like, the, the, the watching this film really came at a certain point in my life where, like, I finally finished a screenplay that I've been working on for three fucking years instead of, like, talking about it. And I watched it the day that I finished it, and it was just like, <laughs> oh, yeah, like, me completing my work, me spending time on my creativity, like, that's what matters. That's how I give myself respect. And it isn't so much, like, why am I not... I don't know, why am I not a full-time staff writer, like a writer on a show or like anything like that? Like that doesn't matter. Like I'm asking myself the wrong question, which is like Gawain is like, why am I not a knight? He hasn't done the fucking work to get there. Yeah, like honor or whatever sort of thing that you're striving for uh, in the ideal world, it's, I mean, it's gained, uh, it's earned and you, it's not something that you can necessarily cheat your way to is... You know, he thought that he he could um, in so many of these instances. Yeah, and I don't know, just the, the ultimate question of like, are you going to step up? Are you going to step up or are you going to pussy out? If you do pussy out, like, are you willing to accept the consequences of that? Because you will bear the brunt of it. So are you ready to accept that? And it's a whole thing yeah. of like, the whole philosophy of, you know, you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take <laughs> is is basically this. Granted, you know, again, spoiler alert, if you've continued to listen... You know, for him, it might result in death. So I understand the fear that he goes through for that. But he has to kind of accept that and, like, be accountable for himself for that. And, like, that is a sign of honor and that is a that is the way that he respects himself. Which yeah. we see in the last ten minutes. Like, that last right. ten minutes. Like, is this fun. comes through most clearly there. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I totally, I totally bought it, too. Yeah, I had dude. no idea that they were presenting this as an alt future until you know they flash back to him kneeling in front of yeah. the night and yeah that's just that's just really well done if it's like so viable um on another level yeah and like me being you know i have anxiety like that's what i do every day like i i think of i have a flash forward into my future where i have like the worst case scenario just just constantly on a loop <laughs> like and that's it can it can result in a little bit of like paralysis of decision making but I appreciated that because it was very sad. It was very satisfying to watch, mm-hmm. and then be pulled back and be like, "Oh, he still has a choice to make." Yeah. And what did you think? Like, because the ending is left a little bit ambiguous on on purpose, of course. Like, we're not totally sure what happens to him. Um, what do you think? Sort. I mean, it doesn't really matter so much Mm-mm. because, like. Again, it's as much, it's more about the journey than the destination, but just curious, like, what do you think actually happens to him at the end? I think he's fine. And I think in the poem, he's fine at the end. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that's the the Green Knight says off with your head. He means like, right, run along. Like, that's kind of how I Jokingly, kind of benevolent. Yeah. 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 I think, I would like to think so too. Um, Especially if, if anyone stuck around for the post credit scene, there is like a little girl, presumably the daughter of of Gawain and and Essel, his girlfriend, and presumably that is like you could interpret that as being like, okay, this is the actual future. He yeah. gets back and he he like you know does does well by this this woman he's in love with, and they have a child, and yeah. you know X Y Z. Um, so yeah, again, like that, it doesn't really matter so much what happens, no. but yeah, I would like to think that it's a, a kind of a nice ending. It's funny because it's like such a Christian, like there's so many versions of that in Christianity and Islam in terms of like someone being tested to do the absolute worst thing. 
yeah. then God being like, psych, you're fine. Like, you passed the test. <laughs> so that's kind of like the the way that I interpreted it was like, mm-hmm. you're fine. Like, go, you've, <laughs> you've got the fear of death in your eyes and you've seen it and you're fine with it now. Like, yeah, you've made your peace with the, it. That's the real thing yeah. that, that you earn. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, in terms of like other honorable mentions, things that <laughs> I want to talk very quickly about. I think I have facial blindness for Alicia Vikander, bro. Like, I really... (laughs) It took a second to recognize her. It took me a second to recognize her, one. Because, so, Alicia Vikander plays two people. So, she plays Essel, who is the sex worker girlfriend. And then she also plays the lady of Joel Edgerton's house later on in the journey. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't realize that they were the same woman. So, for me, it was just like, (laughs) I... Afterwards, Andrew, like my my husband was just like, she looked so different, and I was like, who look? What? Oh, it took you that long. <laughs> what are you talking about? It took me that long, and the only thing that made it click for me was how mealy mouthed she is with her. Yeah, it was work. really baffling. I think most of them, when they were like shooting in castles, I'm sure a lot of them had to like do a lot of uh, re-recording mm-hmm. in like an ADR booth just to get that clean audio without the echo of the castle. Or whatever, because I think they shot a lot of this on location in Ireland, which still, like, Ireland has preserved a lot of its medieval, like, pagan buildings. So, I, I get it. I think they were all doing it, but for some reason, Miss Vikander, just that accent was no. not doing it for Yeah, me, and it, it was actually very hard to understand when she got into her, as a lady, she got into the green monologue, and which is such an important part of, like, yeah. you know, the entire theme of the, the entire film, but... Yeah, yeah, very hard to understand much of what she was saying, uh, unfortunately. Just felt so bizarre, yeah. It felt like, you know, in Twin Peaks, in that dream sequence where the, everyone's talking backwards, it kind of <laughs> felt a little bit like that. <laughs> but yeah, I think the, the best part was definitely, can I be your lady? Yes, oh that is a... Oh my god. <laughs> Would you like me to be your lady? <laughs> oh, for fuck's Ooh. sake, what are you doing? Anyway, there's that. And then, of course, Barry Keon. Uh, our little vagrant in oh, this film terrifying once again excellent at playing a weasley cunt as usual 10 out of 10 good for you barry and also a huge shout out to the absolute scene stealer saint winifred bad gal with the head top played by erin kellyman who you will recognize from the falcon and the winter soldier if you ended up watching that yeah just amazing two very very quotable lines uh, my personal favorite being why would you ever ask me that Good fucking question. Exactly same, Winifred. I have a question for you, really quick. Uh, were the giants real, or was Gawain just tripping on those mushrooms? Again, like, the cop-out answer is, like, uh, it doesn't really matter which matter. what the real answer is. Doesn't matter. Um, Wouldn't personally, you? Personally, I think they were real. I think they were real. I definitely think they were real. The last thing I will say is, obviously, I wish Joel Edgerton would hunt me a boar. Give me a kiss on the lips. That's just very, it just speaks to me, my lizard brain. So, <laughs> thank you so much, Mr. Larry, for that scene. Thank you so much for this film. I had a fantastic time. Uh, it's definitely one of my favorite films of this year so far. And this week, Jenny, what did you watch? So, I am talking about The White Lotus which is uh, another thing that I think I and and you and many people have been enjoying lately. Mm-hmm. So this is a new miniseries by Mike White, who you might know from Enlightened, which we talked about in an earlier episode. This miniseries was filmed late last year during the pandemic, 
currently streaming on HBO Max. Um, so we're going to be covering roughly the first four episodes, and the last episode will air on August 15th. So this series, it takes place uh, during the course of one week in this sort of luxury resort on Hawaii. We follow the lives of the guests who have come to the White Lotus Resort on vacation, as well as the staff who basically have to cater to their every need. They make themselves invisible, generic, um, to service them, etc., etc. There's also kind of a, a mystery element involved, very, very lightly, uh, because we do open the very first episode, actually, like, in media stories at the end of the trip with one of the guests, Shane, played by Jake Lacey, who is telling a nosy couple at the airport that someone died at the resort. And we see this body bag being loaded onto the plane. So we know that this is coming, but then we go all the way back to the beginning of the week with a guest arriving at the resort, and the fact or suspense of the murder or death or whatever, it's kind of like hovering sort of throughout the series. But honestly, I kind of forgot about it most of the time. I was mostly just there for the ride. So in that way, I think it's a little bit different from the other HBO prestige kind of murdery death series that we've been enjoying lately. So this, I, I wouldn't really compare it to those as much as Enlightened. Again, which Pellin chose as a pick earlier uh, in another episode, but really the uh, like a perfect Mike White, just like his signature blend of, you know, cynical, but also a little bit idealistic in some sense. Like there's a lot about money and privilege uh, there's a lot of satire also balanced with sincerity. So this is like very much like signature Mike White. And I, I didn't mean that in a very good way. Yeah. So far, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. What about you, Pellin? Uh, yeah, I, re- I really like it too. It is definitely like um, there are some episodes that are a little less strong than others, but it is a fantastic like he basically started his own little social anthropology experiment by like making up these characters and just like having them interact with one another the whole way that you explore a character in terms of just like the tiny little things that they do that really tell you everything you need to know about them mike white is just like centers in on it and makes you look at it for like minutes which is uncomfortable but not as the viewer just uncomfortable you feel like embarrassment for this like fictional character constantly which is amazing it's kind of something that you know if you like that about succession this is exactly kind of the same vibe of that or like the the same kind of way of communicating that yeah i I like what you said about the sort of social anthropological experiment because i think that that hits it right on the head um like i was reading naomi fry's review for the new yorker and she kind of likened it to there are these guests and employees that are circling one another like animals in a cage. And that's pretty much it. You know, they're all stuck in this one location for this period of time. There are heaps of just like an imbalances and inequities between these two. And it's not really driven by plot so much as exactly that, like the character and relationship studies. Um, they're weird fucking dynamics with between the guests and between the guests and employees. But at the same time, you know, these characters are kind of sketched out a little bit like archetypes, but I think also made a little bit more human. Like Mike White, I think what a lot of critics have observed about him is that he really loves to let characters, you know, horrible characters skewer themselves. But he also has a little bit of sympathy for them still, you know, like in, in Enlightened, our main girl Amy, uh, 
so terrible in so many ways, so but annoying. also, you know, kind of you really feel for her in a lot of other ways. Mm-hmm. So he really is good at drawing that out of characters that would otherwise, I think, in lesser writer or director or performer's hands, it could easily render them like uh, tropes and just like stereotypes. Yeah. But he really pulls it out of them. And here we see basically what money, privilege, entitlement does to the people at this resort and to the people working under them and to the people in their families and how it sort of makes so many things ugly about human behavior yeah it's it's really interesting so far i think mostly again as like a a look at these characters and how they deal with each other so because there is an ensemble cast there are a lot of characters uh which ones in particular are catching your attention palin whether because you you like them or because you just think they're just like really well done in a sense i fucking love jake lacy's character man (laughs) Shane, yes. He I is. fucking love <laughs> Shane so mm-hmm. much. I despise Shane in real life. Mm-hmm. Like, if I was to ever meet a Shane, mm-hmm. get him away from me. But the way, <laughs> for the way that Jake Lacey plays this guy is perfect. Yeah. And I can't stop looking at him. Like, I can't stop watching him. I'm excited for the scenes that he's in. Just, fa- like, truly what a fascinating specimen of human existence (laughs) you know what i mean like who are these people why are they the way that they are but at the same time like how funny like he's just hilarious that in the latest episode something happens where he get he gets a gloat and him gloating just i (laughs) i i laughed so loud i think maybe my upstairs neighbors heard me like it was so entertaining how about you who's your who's your personal favorite Oh, Shane is really good. I think also perfect casting, like Jake Lacey really expanding beyond his type and using like the yeah. the perception of his his typecast to, to really yeah. go new places here. Yeah, because um, if you don't know Jake Lacey, he plays a nice guy in absolutely every single thing that he's been in, like especially yes. with rom-coms. And he took this role because he was like, yeah, I was kind of tired of getting typecast and I wanted to play a dick <laughs> for the first time. <laughs> but honey, you are smashing it. Just please continue. Please, any casting director, please hire Jake Lacey to be an absolute prick. He's so good. Because <laughs> he's got like that typical Americana look about him. Like the just an all-American boy, you know? And that can go both ways. Like, <laughs> So, fantastic. Yeah, I, I also am personally pretty fond of the the college students. So this is mm. Olivia, played by Sydney Sweeney. Um, of Euphoria fame, and also her friend Paula, who's on Lawn for the Ride, played by Brittany O'Grady. So they are so perfectly, like, vicious in a very specific uh, teenager, college student uh, way, like, where they have sort of the vocabulary to be able to talk about things like colonialism and privilege and stuff like that but they really a part of it is just like so much more how they think they're they're better than everyone else and how they are like so so much of like their their jobs um other people are like so underhandedly like poisonous in a way um some people i think have critiqued this as maybe a little bit too a stock character yeah like a a stereotype a, a trope in some way but I actually think this is like pretty accurate to how a lot oh, yeah. of this demographic of like a, a very educated, uh, kind of woke college student is in the moment. One who like 
maybe they do actually like truly mean well, but they're they're on their journey of being absolute like bitches and like cunts to each other. Um, and, and it's really curious. really beautiful. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think it is very accurate because especially at that age, you're just like it's everything is black and white. There's no gray. But their relationship too, I really like. Like in the last yeah, in the last really, episode. Yeah, it's like a very rivalry. It's like, they're basically frenemies that lean more into the friend than the enemy area, but the way that that's being explored, I think, is very accurate, too. Because I think you do, at that age especially, you do have friends that you're just like, yeah, I don't trust them around other men that Mm -hmm. I'm interested in. (laughs) Yeah, we we see that there's, like, a history there. Like, it's hinted that probably Olivia did do something to steal Paula's... um, you know, guy at some point. So yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying what they're doing and like the the bonus of like seeing the the reading list. Like in every episode, they yeah. have different books that are just like, oh, um, like who are they reading? Um, Literary like Freud found dead, and by like the way. Fanon and like yes, just yeah. like all of these these bigs. Um, very fun uh, Easter eggs in every yeah. episode. Yeah, um, I think another standout that I I think everyone has to mention at some point is of course Armand. Oh, played yeah. by Murray Bartlett, who is the very stressed resort manager yeah. slash um, recovering drug addict who is sort of pushed back to the brink because of the demands of his job and all of these guests. Um, so it's really, he is doing fantastic. Just like the, the flip stitch from his like customer service voice and persona. As soon as a guest leaves uh, his within earshot or like sight, you can tr- truly see how fucking done he is with everything. Oh, yeah. Um, so, oh, my God. The, again, like we, we, we talk about amazing line deliveries. Mm-hmm. Um, when he said, do you want to find out? I fucking barked. <laughs> it was so funny. It was just such a perfect line delivery. Amazing. Yeah. I, yeah. I also really like Belinda, who is played by uh, Natasha Rothwell, who you will recognize from Insecure. Um, and actually, I had a, I didn't realize at first it was like Natasha from Insecure because the character she plays is yeah. so different. Yeah. Very, Acting very man. different. She's yeah. great. And I love that relationship too because it's like the promise of someone extremely privileged, like just throwing you a bone and helping you out with something that could make, that could change your life and kind of not knowing how to take it seriously because of who is offering it to you. And also like every time they have a conversation, I'm just like, don't take her seriously. Don't take her seriously. Like she's going to disappoint <laughs> you. Like the shoe is going to drop. We already, the, we already kind of yeah, know it as viewers. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just sad. It's just sad watching that train crash at a very slow pace. Yeah. I think what one of, at least like people have said, like Belinda is the only likable, truly likable character. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah. So characters all very interesting. There are many more. Oh, so many um, more. That's a thing that kind of makes it interesting because you can see each of them either isolated or sort of pushed together in new configurations and combinations and see how they react to each other. But I will say like, there is a slight critique that I agree with, like in the New York times review, the note that they could spend a little more time with the staff half of it. Like in terms of there only being like maybe two of the main characters being like staff members versus everyone else being guests. But, you know, I'll I'll take it with what it is. I don't really know what the next two episodes will bring either. But, yeah. Otherwise, you know, a great set of characters. Just, like, 
many people just like awful in different ways that are still very human and very yeah, familiar i yeah. think to all of us it just ca- the, the reason why i love it it just it captures a, a sense of human existence a very particular type of place like have you ever mm-hmm. been to an all-inclusive resort i went when i was uh younger i think my family went to cancun mm. one time one of those i think that was like our only sort of big resort experience yeah. and it was interesting i guess it did remind me slightly of that it so we would go to turkey every year and like granted i've never been anywhere as nice as this hotel in the white lotus like it's really fucking nice like we would just I think do it was, yeah it was the four seasons uh, that they filmed it. yeah it's which i listen i've got to say fucking yearning for that right now like just watching them <laughs> on i just give that to me like there's like a mm-hmm. a pool bar where you can eat and drink in the middle of the pool like give me that right now innovation <laughs> indeed um but like we we would stay at like three star all-inclusive hotels in turkey and there is something very particular someone tweeted like you know when you walk into an airport gate and everybody's just checking you out and then like you see another person around your age and you're just like kind of stealing glances to see a what they're wearing (laughs) the type of person that they are it's kind of like this weird sexual tension yeah like whether it's sexual or whether it's like societal tension between like oh this person is like around my age what are they doing Mm -hmm. it's kind of like that but like a week if you stay there for a week it's the whole time so every time you go out go down to dinner and you see that person around your age it's the same thing it doesn't matter if they're female or male or like whether you find them attractive or not you are like it's just this weird like lizard brain like monkey brain something that kind of like flicks off and it is like that circling the cage feeling Mm -hmm. yeah the way that mike white has kind of captured that is incredible because on top of that you do feel a little bit like the normal rules don't apply just because of the fact that your schedule has completely changed you don't know what to do with your days people are very like i didn't know this from like because my question, one of the, for like some of these episodes is like, do people really talk to each other so much, like to strangers yeah. at resorts? Sometimes they do. Like, I think, <laughs> like, you know, with my experience, the thing is in Turkey, like, everyone's really friendly in Turkey for the most part. Mm-hmm. Like, especially mm-hmm. if, like, you're all Turkish, you know, like, it is like, it yeah. just, it, a natural conversation will flow. But no, for the most part, no. And I do think, like, a lot of that has to do with how, like, insular. It feels on this resort, it's a little bit more Mm. like, there's like a level of prestige where maybe it's a little bit more trustworthy because it's like, we're all rich here, right? You know, and then that way that kind of lends itself to more conversation. I mean, Jennifer Coolidge is the only one it feels like that is talking a lot to everybody. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Like Jake Lacey's character has not talked to that family yet. Um, And I- He talked to the girls. He talked to the girls, yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's just him being a fucking- A different thing of his character. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the way that that is kind of captured and the like also the level of like horniness you get. So with Paula like sleeping with the hotel kid. But I thought that like Call Me By Your Name really captured that feeling of like summer boundless weird alternate mm, universe mm-hmm. energy that you get yeah. in, in like on a summer That's holiday. That's a good way to put it. So yeah. it, it's just been interesting seeing how that is like captured in this because it really, it, it really zeroes in on it. And I think maybe the whole premise like with mike white when they were like can you make a show for the pandemic and he was like yeah sure stick me in a hotel i'll figure it out was that people in a resort like this it's just you operate at a different level like you're yourself on a way different frequency um and just kind of seeing the mania of that unfold has been really interesting so yeah one one last question i kind of wanted to to end with you know do you have any thoughts on i think there's been some chatter 
among some circles on, on Twitter and social media where people are sort of critiquing the show because they don't like they, or they feel that it's more like a cultural commentary Mad Libs, or it's like trying too hard to tick every box for just like the big capital letter issues of the moment. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I'll say that I, don't really agree with some of those critiques because yeah. I think Mike White is approaching it from a very particular point of view and way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what, what do you think? I, I agree with you. I think most people are zeroing in on this conversation that this family has, like about racism or privilege or whatever it might be. And like, mm-hmm. no, I think that's actually about the disconnect between these generations and not necessarily what it is that they're talking about. Yeah. Like the vocabulary may be more contemporary, but. Also, that's how people talk about it nowadays. Yeah, and it's uh, what I got from that conversation was like Olivia and her family, and then Paula, and how like different they are, and how Olivia is trying to kind of include her friend in this, but she's not going to be ever able to. Mm-hmm. Essentially, that's kind of that was my takeaway from that scene. Yeah, I, I think we agree on this. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean the the characters are believable, and if it seems too on the nose, I think that's because it's actually like ringing true in a way that's like very striking for where we are in the culture at the moment. I think it's a good watch and I wouldn't be discouraged by if people say that it's a little bit too much issue of the day. Uh, no, I don't, I'm fine with it. No, it's just I'm like interesting to watch all these characters. Yeah. I'm excited. Who do, okay. So last question to you, who do you think died? Uh, I'm going to guess right now, Armand. Hmm. Interesting. I'm going to say Paula. Wow. Okay. Can I say why? Sure. She keeps talking about her seizures and her medication for these seizures. Huh. I took that as like a excuse, (laughs) but it could very well like hint to I think Loki to to things to come. Yeah, I think Loki she definitely does need some of that medication. I think that seizure's gonna happen and she's not gonna have her medication. Interesting. We'll see. We'll see. So for Culture Notes this week, we're going to keep it short and sweet and talk about our lovely Aubrey Graham, a.k.a. Drizzy Drizzy Drake. (laughs) Um, Drizzy Drake and his picture in his little mohair jumper situation. I think this is a picture that was posted on his Instagram stories. It is now gone. It's not there. But you, we will link this picture. Drake is in his walk-in closet in one of his houses, we're guessing. Mm-hmm. And he is wearing a very, very cozy looking jumper with the sleeves rolled up over his hands. Very Ariana Grande Pressed style. up against his face. Mm-hmm. Very Ariana Grande style. With his little leg that's a little bit, it's a little bit, you know, there's a little pop to the leg. Um, just looking very cute. Very kawaii. Um, <laughs> shout out to Mr. Drake. This has just done, done an absolute tizzy on the internet obviously uh what are your thoughts on this jenny very very important feedback from you please no just that he looks very cozy and i'm i'm happy that uh, if that he he feels nice and cute in his sweater and comfortable enough in his masculinity to pull off a pose like that good for him man i think that one of my favorite things about drake like he's problematic in his own ways and i won't get into that but um <laughs> One of my favorite things about Drake is that he knows how to laugh at himself. He knows how to make fun of himself. He knows how to like take the meme about himself and turn that into like more of a meme or more of a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm hoping that he really leans into this. I would love to know what the jumper is. Like, please let me know. So my favorite response online was that Ariana Grande, you have 24 hours to respond. 
Um, so. <laughs> oh, amazing. So that's it for that's this week. If you have anything that you think we should check out, let us know. Our email is criticism is dead at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram. Criticism is dead. Uh, you can check out our Substack, criticismisdead.substack.com if you want to see extended show notes, links to everything, extra tweets, etc. Whatever we feel like. Um, otherwise, please rate review on Apple Podcasts, five stars only. Tell a friend about us. Um, so tell us, tell us you love us. I don't know. We've had some like very nice sort of listener uh comments and and they make us feel yeah. very good all the time so thank you very much they do they really do yes they do not go unnoticed i promise you no we we share them and we like cry together uh it's, it's amazing um yes. so thank you so much everyone see you next week bye criticism is dead is produced by pen and keskin Lou and jenny Chijon. our music is by rika our artwork and design are by sarah Messia and andrew Lou. 